through Genesis, so I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 25 right now. We'll be reading verses 19 through 28. And I'm not, you know, some people look at the music things we talk about, and some look at, you know, the contemporary versus the old-fashioned. I'm, I'm a bit old-fashioned when it comes to the scriptures. I, I believe if we stand for songs, we should stand for the reading of the word as well. So I'm asking you now to, when you find your place, to stand for God's the reading of God's holy word. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field as he was exhausted, and Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Maybe see you. It's reading of the word. There's a lot going on in these few little verses that we have here. In chapter 25 marks the halfway point in Genesis, but it's um, the, the rest of Genesis is going to focus heavily on this on these, these men named Jacob and Esau, especially Jacob and, and his family. I want us to look at and think about being at a movie theater. Sometimes we go to the movie theater and our, our, that new movie that's out that we really want to see comes out, so we'll go see it. And there's all these trailers, and some people like me enjoy the trailers, so we get there early and we, we want to watch what the movies are coming out. And I know others who would rather not go, so they purposely show up about seven minutes late because they never start those things on time anyway. And so they, they want to skip past the, uh, the, the trailers and just get to the, the meat of the movie that they came to see. But the, the reality is when we look at, in these verses here, we can overlook what's going on with Rebecca um, giving birth to these two twins. A lot of times you want to skip ahead to the meat of the story when, when uh, you know, Jacob is out getting his, his wives and, and he's having children and all that that goes on there with, with his 12 sons and what ends up being known as the nation of Israel. But there, there's very important stuff here that, that we need to go over. And I just want to bring your attention. Um, a lot of your uh, uh, commentators and theologians will, will divide Genesis up in ten sections. And they, they call these the ten dots. That is, the, the points where it says, these are the generations of. We had the, the generations of the heavens and the earth, the generations of Adam, of Noah, Shem, Han, and Japheth. Um, and then a more detailed one of Shem and of Terah, Abraham's father. And then we have Ishmael, and then we come to 
now to Isaac. There's only two left, and those two would be Esau and Jacob. So it's telling us what the rest of Genesis is going to be about is, is really about Esau and Jacob. Esau um, we'll later know as Edom and the Edomites, and Jacob we will later know as Israel. These are they're one and the same people. And and what what I enjoy um, with with Jacob, he's probably my, my favorite Old Testament character. He he's a guy that he's not the most upright man when we first meet him. He's got some issues going on, and I, I think as human beings we can understand that. We can sympathize with somebody who who isn't quite perfect. Who Jacob, much of the time we find he is out for himself. And there are times where, where God really gets a hold of this man and does mighty things through this man. But Jacob has to be humbled first. And and as we look in the chapters ahead, we'll we'll see that. But what we also see in this chapter is Jacob and Esau. They, these are these are brothers, and sometimes brothers get get along like there's there's no tomorrow. And sometimes you have Jacob and Esau, where they're 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 brothers, but it's a it's a wonder to all that look look at them to consider them brothers because of the way they fight with each other. And it's also a great uh, view of God's grace. God has has given us grace, and and we'll see over and over again um, with these two. But you know why why does God favor Jacob? We'll see in the, in the New Testament. Paul Paul tells us that uh, God loves Jacob but hates Esau. That's not an easy verse to, to read. That's not an easy verse to 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 think about. But the rea- the reality is that that God has offered us salvation, and we we are all we are all like Jacob in, in a way. We we all are people that don't really deserve salvation. There's there's nothing on Jacob's resume that you can look and say that is our guy. He he deserves to be saved. You won't find it, and you won't find it on our resume either. And so we we go over and. And see the, these two unique characters, and of course, we in the scripture it talks about how Esau was willing to sell his birthright, and we'll get to what exactly that means in a minute. But first, I want to get to their mother, Rebecca, and her expectation. As we looked in um, the beginning of uh, chapter 25, at Abraham's death, you know, it comes right after Isaac and Rebecca are married, and, and Rebecca is told that she is um, in verse or chapter 24 it says our sister may become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate them and then later when she she comes and she marries Isaac Isaac tells her of the, the blessing of Abraham of how his descendants will be so numerous that they'll be like the stars of heaven or the sands of the seas so if you're Rebecca you're expecting to be a mother probably pretty quickly as we, we can deduct from the scriptures here she was married to Isaac for 20 years before they had children. Sometimes God has us wait. Waiting is not easy. And it wasn't easy for Rebecca. It's not easy for me. I'm sure it's not easy for you. But sometimes when, when God has us wait, it's for good reasons. And, and we see here that with, um, with Isaac, that he, he is a man of God. And when his, his wife is not able to conceive, he goes before God in prayer. And he asks God, well, what is going on? You know, God, will you please grant my, my wife the ability to, to conceive children? As, as one that um, my wife and I did not have to wait 20 years, but we had many doctors tell us it would never happen. We had to wait seven years. That was not an easy thing. But we are very blessed to this day, and I'm sure Rebecca will consider herself blessed. But I, I would charge the husbands today that, that when your wife is struggling, it's your responsibility to go before God and pray for her. And seek God out for her. 
You're the spiritual leader in your house. Don't expect your wife to do all the praying. You're called to be a man of God, to go before God in prayer. When, you, when you're struggling, when your wife is struggling, when your family is struggling, manage your responsibility. Isaac is a great example in this. We see that Isaac, Isaac prays and the Lord grants his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, conceives. And, and we go on and we see that her pregnancy is not an easy one. And it's, I, I don't know, um, ladies, how you would describe your pregnancy, but would you describe it as a war going on in, inside of you? That, that is what is described of, of her pregnancy. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. She goes before for God in prayer because of what is going on during her pregnancy. She says, God, what is going on? Why, why are they fighting amongst each, each other? That, that is not something we often you know, hear about with, with uh, ladies that are, that are having twins. The, I don't hear that description too often that you know, these children are, are at each other. But that is, that is what is, is told to us here. And she goes, she goes before God and asks him, so what is going on? And, and she, she learns that this is part of God's plan, what is going on inside of her. The, the few that, that would become Jacob and Esau. That, that this is part of God's divine plan. We, we can look over and over again in, in Scripture and see that, you know, when... When things we think should be the way they are in the physical world, in, in, in our world that, that we go about, you know, we tend to look at it and think of, well, the, the, the oldest should be, should be leading the house in, in the father's absence. We don't think the youngest should be running, running the roost, do we? Would you let Joshua run the house? He thinks he does, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but yeah, no. Yeah. In the world, we, we tend to, to look at things with very natural eyes, very physical eyes, but... But God is doing something much different here. We can look at Cain and Abel. Cain was the older brother. He should have protected his, the younger brother. But Abel was considered the righteous one. We have it with Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael physically was the older brother. But he was not the one of the promise. And so, so the blessing goes to Isaac. And we see this with Jacob. G Jacob is technically the younger brother by a few seconds. You know, There's not a great span in time like, like there is with Ishmael. But again, Esau had the birthright. We can look at Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was the 11th out of the 12th of the sons of Jacob. But he, he is highly favored, and, and he has dreams from God that his brothers will bow down to him. I, I, I don't know how that family meet, meeting went, or whether it was over a Thanksgiving-style meal, or he, he was sitting down and saying, you know, I had this dream last night. You guys are all going to serve me. It's going to be great. You'll see. But the, the reality is that that is, that is the way it happens with, with God. God does not see as we see. He does not choose as we choose. And he is, he is sending a message through Scripture to us. And the, the message is this, is that I am sending my son. He call, we call him the second Adam. And through him, everything will be redeemed. Through him, ev everyone will have the ability to be saved. It's the first Adam, through, through Adam, all, all men... Sinned. Death entered into everyone. But through Christ, eternal life is possible. Amen. And so over and over again, whether it's uh, through Isaac and Ishmael or Jacob and Esau, we see this pattern of the younger one being chosen by God to, for, the, for, the, um, for, for the promise that is given originally to Abraham. And God, 
God chooses the, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And, and we see that over and over. And, and I want us to look at this, this interchange between Jacob and Esau for a moment. Esau is a hunter. He's a man of the field. He likes to go out and hunt. And there's a day where he has apparently been out for a very long time and he's exhausted. He describes himself at the point of death and he says, what good is my birthright if I'm going to die here this day? And so he, he sells his birthright to Jacob. Now, I, I would not hold Jacob guiltless in this. He, and instead of offering his brother a meal because he's his brother, he said, well, give me your birthright. You know, Jacob obviously had, well, was a, a man who was looking to usurp. That's what his name means, is the usurper. Yeah, yeah, I hear all the time people choosing uh, Jacob as a, a, a name for the child. And I'm like, well, I don't think Jacob itself is a bad name. We have a very biblical name. But at the same time, understand what the original meaning of that name was. Jacob was considered a usurper. He was not... He was not the great man of God. When he becomes the great man of God, he'll be known as Israel. But he is not yet that man. And we see with Esau, he despises his birthright because he sells it. He doesn't focus on what's important. And that would be my challenge to you guys tonight. Just let us focus on what is really important in this life. Jacob took all the blessings that were given to Abraham. The promise that the Messiah would come through his line. That through him, all nations would be called blessed. And what is he traded for? Some lentil soup. I don't know the last time he had some lentil soup. I've never had lentil soup that tasted that good. <laughs> Let alone worth, worth to give up. Not just the physical things, but the spiritual blessings. And, and we see, and I want us to understand later on, uh, I think Rebecca gets a, bit, a little bit of a bad rap because people will look at her and say, well, why does she favor Jacob? You know, she, she favors Jacob because of the, the promise that is given to her by, by God when, when she is pregnant. And so I don't want you to be too harsh on Rebecca. You know, and she's a, uh, she is also an example of things that, that were to come. Of how before her, before her, Sarah was struggling with pregnancy. And after her, uh, Rachel will, will, will struggle as well. And Leah. And we see this go on and on. And eventually down the line, we... We, we see over and over God uses pregnancy to, to announce the arrival of, of something very important. Someone who is, is very important. We see it with Elizabeth, with John the Baptist. And of course with, with Mary, with the, the mother of our Lord. We see God using these things. And, and sometimes we don't want to wait. We, we don't understand why this is happening. But when you wait because God is having you wait, He's got good things in store for you. He's got blessings ahead. He's building up your patience. He's building up your endurance to face what is coming so that you'll be ready. You know, when we, when we look at a character like John the Baptist, we don't, we, we don't, we don't um, recognize him as, as the great prophet he is unless Elizabeth has gone through all that she has. The reason the nation wondered at what sort of child will this be is because she had been praying for years and years and they, they thought her cursed by God. But that God answered her prayer, and, and she names her son John, and it, the, the entire neighborhood and all the nation started to wonder, and this young man grew up to, to, be, to be John, the one who would show the way to the Lord, is a good and great thing that we see here. Also, as, as we, we look at Esau and think of the things in our life that are important, what are the things that are actually important in our life? You can speak up, huh? Salvation is important. Family. Family. What else? Health. 
Help. Faith. Faith. What? God. God. Amen. <coughs> what are things that uh, maybe this world looks at are important, but aren't really that important? <coughs> Money. Money. Video games. Video games. <laughs> Good job, yeah, <laughs> what? Did you say paper? Yes. Oh, yeah, paper. It's not really that important. But the the reality is we, we can look at uh, our lives and most of us will spend nearly 70% of our lives, the best years of our life, working for things that don't matter. Most of us will, will spend between twenty dollars and $40,000 on a new car that will maybe last you 10 to 15 years. We'll spend lots of money on our houses. And, it's, and men, it's important to provide for our families. Do we not get me wrong on that? But the family should be the focus. It should not be on the house itself. Amen. In our culture, we, we, we're all about getting more and more, you know, bigger and better stuff. And the reality is, it's all going to burn in the end. That, that, you know, Solomon gives you great warnings, you know, we work our whole life to build stuff up. So why? So somebody else can have it. You don't get to take that house with you, the car with you. None of that gets to go. Amen. What's going to matter is the things that, that stood for eternity. The, the things that, that matter to the kingdom. Amen. And are we living those kind of lives where, where we're seriously working for the kingdom day in and day out? I'm trying, oh, to. I'm trying to. Let's go from trying to doing Amen? Amen. The, the reality is Esau had everything. Esau was a, a manly man, a great hunter. He, he was blessed in the eyes of his father and, and the inheritance would have been his. But he sold it what? To have his belly filled? My daughter laughs, but the reality is if we were to, to do a budget in our, most of our families, about a third of our budget every year would go to food. The reality is we probably spend, spend more on food than we do to, at giving to the kingdom. Now our, our reality is we need to make sure that we're not focusing on the physical things. We are not being like Esau. Don't, don't focus on the things that don't matter, but focus on the things that really do matter. We said we had a great time last night, and those type of things matter because we are worshiping God. Worship will stand forever. The Word of God will stand forever. Christ and His kingdom will be here forever. I've told you, a day will come when, the, when this earth is no more, when it's consumed in fire. And as much as we love our beloved church here, it will not withstand the fire. The true church will withstand the fire. That is you and I. But a day may come in this country where they take, try to take the churches away. Uh, right now, in two different cities, our own uh, state associations are, are suing the city governments because they refuse to give them permits in, into churches. Why? Because the government doesn't want, want churches in there because they don't make money off churches. Churches don't pay land taxes. So both in the city of Elgin and the city of Chicago, this is happening. It is growing and growing. There is a hostility between the church and the government. And we as Christians need to realize that a day may come where it becomes a little more difficult to, to assemble and have church. But that should not stop the true church. That should not stop us from worshiping. That should not stop us from proclaiming the gospel. As I know many of you do, you go down to the local speedway, you proclaim the gospel there. You go to the trucker stops. Well, wherever God has you to go, you go and proclaim what he's told you to do. 
Now I want us also to, as we, we look at Jacob, don't settle for just being Jacob. Most of us here know the end of Jacob's story. He wrestles with God. He ends up being named Israel. He, he has 12, 12 sons, and, and from him a whole nation will come. And we look at that, and, and we, we, we look at uh, Israel, the person of Israel, and the man of faith he becomes. And we rejoice with God, and we can look up to, for that to be something we strive for. But we should never settle for just being Jacob. You know, when we, we see when we see Jacob, you know, usurping that that birthright that was that was to belong with his brothers, understand that you have been given a birthright by Christ. You are heirs, you are sons and daughters of the living God. You have an, an eternal inheritance. I see too many brothers and sisters willing to throw it away. Not, not, not willing to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. Not willing to go and share what, what the kingdom that is about to take place. We talked about this morning that Jesus is coming very soon. And he gives parable after parable. He said, I, to some I've given little, I expect them to return to me more. Some I've given much, and I expect much to be given to me. You are a one who will inherit you are a co-heir with Christ what will Christ inherit he's the eternal son of God think on that question understand that you are a co-heir with him and along with that much is expected of you you are you are not one just to to bow the knee and receive salvation and go on living your life like you live in the world and nothing else matters because that is not what God has called you to do He's called you to boldly proclaim the gospel. Amen. Are we disciples here? Are we disciples? Yes. Are we disciples? Yes. Yes? Maybe? We sure? Are you fishers of men? Yes. If you can't honestly say yes to that, you are not a disciple. Jesus point blank said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. That is the mark of what a disciple is. You know, many people wonder and they think about, will I be the one that stands before the Lord and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Will he say, get away from me, I never knew you. I can tell you, you should have no doubt at all. If you are fishing for men and are a fisher of men, you should know that he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But if we are being like Jacob and just trying to usurp Christ's inheritance, say, I never knew you. Throughout many in this country, over 70% claim to be Christian. Do you honestly believe that? No. That 7% of this country is Christian. In a land where we have genocide, we call abortion day after day. In a land where 4,000 churches close every single year. Is that a Christian nation? Where not just the world, but the churches celebrate homosexuality. Is that a Christian nation? We, we need to have a good hard look at ourselves and say, are we really being disciples of Christ? Are we doing what he has called us to do? He's called us to follow him, to pick up our cross and be willing to die for him. We need to take that call seriously. Because many of us, I don't think you're going to get to the end of your life. Many of us, you may be saving up for retirement, but you may never get to use it. Because our Lord is coming, and He is coming soon. Amen. And the Word of God says He brings His recompense with Him, repaying everyone 
for what they've done, whether good or evil. And my, my, my desire as the pastor of this church is to be able to present to you as a gift to my Lord. To present to you, not just as ones who call themselves disciples, but ones who truly are fishers of men. Because that is, that is what Christ is looking for. That is the measuring stick he gives us in the Word. Are we fishers of men? Are we willing to, to go out in that community and fish for people? Are we willing to go and, and share the gospel with them? You know, too, too many churches, and the reason many close is because we get inward focused. We, we're all about worship, and that is a good and right thing to do. But we also need to be willing to go out and share the gospel. We, we could do a show of hands. Who here was born saved? No one? That means somebody shared the gospel with you at some point. Amen? Amen. What if that person wasn't willing to do it? What if they weren't willing to be a disciple? What would you be? You'd be lost. You'd be on, on your way to hell. May there be no one that is lost because of our disobedience. May there be many brothers and sisters who were able to offer to our Lord Christ on that, that great day of the wrath of the Lamb. And we could say, we were faithful. And now we have brothers and sisters who have come to call you Lord, who worship you as you desire to be worshipped. That is what I, I would charge us with tonight, is as we, we go out, that we look for those opportunities, whether they be at your workplaces or in your home, with your neighbors, wherever they may, may be, wherever God has you, be willing to take a stand for Him. Yes, it may cost you your jobs. It may cost you your relationships. But you will be able to stand at the end of time and say, you are unashamedly a disciple of Christ, that you not once were ashamed to pronounce Jesus as Lord. That's what the world tries to get you to do. It tries to say, just, oh, Christian, be quiet. Don't, don't, don't talk about your Jesus. We could all just get along. The reality, Jesus is offensive to this world. The reality, everything's offensive to this world at this point, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is utterly offensive to this world. It, it is... It is a, a grace that is given to us that the world looks at and it, and it wants to shun. It says, how could God be loving if God is wrathful? The reality, I will tell you, is this. If God does not bring his wrath, then he is, he is not a just God. And that, that kind of God is not one I could bend the knee to. I could bend to the knee to the God of Scripture because he is just. When our brothers and sisters across the world are martyred, and they are martyred at a rate unprecedented in history. In this century alone, there will be more Christian martyrs than every century since the, the birth of Christ combined. That should take us back and make us realize that what is happening, what Scripture talks about, is happening now. The world may try to lull us to sleep, but, but we are called to be Christians. We are called to stand up, and we are called to fight as Christians should fight. We are not called to back down and be quiet. We are called to rise up and proclaim the gospel. Because it is the only thing that will save this world. There's nothing else we can offer. You know, we, we could you know we could go to the world and see all the world's problems. The world's trying to resolve all kinds of problems. There's wars and rumors of wars, as we know. There's earthquakes, there's there's violence in nature going on, and the world thinks it has all the answers. And there's only one answer. There's only one person who could calm the wind. Can calm the seas. 
It's not the scientists. It's not the people in Washington. His name is Jesus. For he spoke the world into existence, and he alone can bring its peace. I encourage you to seek him out today, and seek him out for your family. Proclaim him wherever you are. That is what we've been called to do. Jesus didn't call us to something that is easy. The call that Jesus put on our lives is a call that we must be willing to, to die for. So I encourage you to seek him out this week. Let us pray. Um, Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks and praise for this day. I give you thanks for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord. May we rise up and may we have that boldness of faith. May we not settle for who we are now. May, may we, as, as Jacob, we look back and one day become Israel. May we look forward to the, to the glory that waits ahead, Lord, of what you are shaping us into. May we be men and women of faith who are willing to, to loudly proclaim it, Lord. We're willing to, to rise up and take a stand for you, Jesus. Be with us now forever, Lord. Amen.